Hello and welcome everybody to the Beacon of Light podcast this evening. We are so grateful that you are here this evening and you can see who I have an amazing guest with us this evening. His name is JJ Burden and we're going to get into all the things that he has done and just a great overview and he is an author, he's an inspirational speaker, and a little bit, I don't know, with the NFL. So yeah, we're really excited to talk to him, but before we do, we're going to jump into this. I'm April Tribe-Juke. Welcome to the Beacon of Light podcast. I believe we are all made with light, and light is hope. This podcast brings authors who write stories of hope to all of you. Your journey to be inspired and amplified by these stories starts now. All right, and we are back. So as you can see, and as we've been announcing over the weekend, this is JJ Burden. So JJ, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, first, hello, and and thank you for having me on your uh, podcast. It's been a privilege to get to know you a little better, and I was excited to be on and sharing, hopefully give some value to your audience. So um little bit about myself. Let's see. Well, I um, I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm originally from Portland, Oregon. I've been married to my college sweetheart, Raina, for 32 years. And um, we have a f- large family, a family of eight. We may get to talk a little bit about that. <laughs> but, um, but I'm a former NFL football player, played nine years in the NFL as a wide receiver. And and then I retired in 97 and became an entrepreneur and ran a couple businesses for years. But now I'm a, as you mentioned, a motivational keynote speaker. I'm a health and wellness coach, and I just love to help people hit their goals. Awesome. And hitting the goals is really all about seizing the opportunities that come about. And we have an incredible book that you have written and which is called when opportunity knocks. And there are eight ways to really take advantage of all of the things that he is going to speak about. So there are great things happening all around us. And when we get you know, excited about things, sometimes it feels like, okay, well, I think that was an opportunity. Wait, maybe I missed that. Was, is this an opportunity? No way, because I just biffed it big time. No opportunity there. What would you have to say about that? Yeah, I think that is probably one of the motivations or reasons why I wrote my book, because I felt I just saw a lot of people miss out on opportunities. And when I say opportunities, I'm just simply saying a goal, a dream, a wish, something that's important to them, something that they want to achieve, something that they want to aspire to accomplish. And, you know, it's one of the reasons, like I said, I wrote my book because I wanted to be able to kind of encourage but also give people kind of that blueprint. Here's what it takes to truly seize the opportunities out there because I feel I'm kind of the, I don't know, I'm the example of it. You know, as we maybe share some things about my story, I felt I've really maximized the opportunities that were available. And I had to create some too when they weren't available as well. So I feel that I'm qualified to share such information with with those that are looking to achieve their goals. Right. The, the opportunity is something where, does, does it start like with an idea, with a dream, or maybe something just might hit you out of the blue? How have you experienced opportunities in your life? Yeah, it's a little bit of everything. Cause sometimes, like you just said, it could be something that we really have locked or we're locked in on something that, okay, this is what I want to achieve. 
We know what the opportunity is. And then sometimes the unexpected opportunities pop up and either some don't recognize them, some don't take advantage of them. And unfortunately, they end up missing out on them. So missing out on them. So I always try to encourage people to just, you know, if you do, if you live by certain um, success tips and principles, you know, if you're focused and you're determined, you work hard, opportunities tend to present themselves. And so that's one of the things I try to do is try to give people the right habits of success. So that when you the opportunity pops up, you recognize it and then you know what to do to accomplish it. Right. And in that uh, way to as it pops up, is there do you think people might get nervous of like, oh, my gosh, I don't even know how or where to start with this. So you're saying you have some tips with that. What are some of the ideas that you can give to people? Yeah, that is a good question. And I think first, I always like to start with mindset because I think mindset has a lot to do with anything you do because it's how you think what you think when you think it why you think it it truly does matter so if you're not right in the right mindset then you're not in a position to really seize any kind of opportunity so it's getting the right mindset and then what i encourage people to do is make sure you know why you're pursuing a particular opportunity or why you want to do something. Because if you don't know why, that's your seed of motivation. That's what's going to drive you to get you to do what you need to do. Because if the why is strong enough, the process to get there is not a challenge. And so I like to start there first mindset and then understand why you want to do it. And then obviously there's going to be important steps after that, like forming a game plan. How are you going to achieve it? And then, of course, willing to put in the work to achieve it as well. Oh, wait a minute. There's work. Ah, oh, come on. <laughs> what do you mean by work? <laughs> I know that that one's always an interesting one because, you know, through my journey and, and you probably can confirm this too. It's like you meet people who they have these goals, they have these dreams, they have these wants, these things they really want, they want to achieve it. But when they find out it's attached to work, not everyone's willing to do the work to achieve it. Not everyone's willing to make the sacrifice. And that's something I've done my entire life. And it's, again, it's why I feel I'm qualified to talk about it, to discuss it, and to teach others. Because, for instance, I, I, I never had a dream to play in the NFL. That was never my goal. It was never something I wanted to do. I was always undersized, an undersized athlete high school. And um, I, even though I played really well, I didn't get a football scholarship, but I got a track scholarship. And what happened was when I got to Oregon, which is where I went, I decided to create the opportunity, you know, and I begged the head coach to let me try out. But the point is, once I got the chance, I was willing to put in that work. And it took me a couple of years to really establish myself. But because I made that commitment early on, the work, that's what led to the opportunities to play in the NFL, which, like I said, it wasn't the plan. But sometimes when you put that kind of effort in and you show that commitment, that determination, that consistency, then opportunities start opening up. So I can honestly say playing in the NFL nine years was not part of the plan. But, hey, when the door opened up, I was definitely willing to go through it. Right. The going through it. <laughs> it's really interesting where there could be an idea or a belief like, okay, whatever the goal, as long as I have a focus, pick out your goal, whatever it is, or your dream or that desire or want, 
there is a lead up to get to things. And if you're thinking that magic carpet is your lead up ride, <laughs> just go keep reading some books because that's not really going to happen. You need to put in the work for whatever it is. So sometimes, like example, to become a master teacher, well, you better start teaching. <laughs> if you want that to be a goal, you're going to have a lot of this. This is a sign for fail. <laughs> and the fails are learns because you learn, well, that didn't work. I got to tweak, adjust things, or I'm not going in that direction. Again, we're going to add this to the plan. And instead of having things be reactive, we start to plan proactively to accomplish the goals and whatever it is that we wanted to do. Now, the timing on things well, right, you had started off with track. In that pursuit of track, what gave you the idea to pop up to say, you know what, I want to, you know, maybe try with the college team for football. You'd played in high school. Yeah. What was that start to say, I want to try this again? Was there an idea planted? Was it you're watching things thinking, I think I can do that? What, what was it? I think it was more so because so many people said I couldn't do it. You know, I was the number one wide receiver in the state of Oregon in high school. And, but physically I wasn't the typical size wide receiver and all the colleges just said, you're too small. And like a lot of people, you know, we get motivated sometimes when people tell us we can't do something that can be a seed of motivation. And so I kept that in the back of my mind, but I had this plan April because I knew I was going to get a track scholarship because I was one of the top long jumpers in the nation in high school. And I said, well, whatever college I go to to run track, I'm going to see if they'll let me walk on and try out for the football team. Well, ironically, of all the Division I schools who are recruiting me in track, only the University of Oregon was the only school that didn't balk at the idea of me trying football one of the years. And once the track coaches, you know, agreed to that, I went to Oregon. But here's, here's the lesson here, because that first year – I kind of went through the mental gymnastics because once I got there, I thought, can I really do this? And should I even do this? My belief was really tested a lot. And so I went through this period of really second guessing myself. But I said, JJ, remember, you you had this goal your senior in high school. You got to stick with the plan. And I started watching the football practices secretly. I want to evaluate the players and see, are they really that much bigger than me? And once I realized or I came to the realization that, no, they're not bigger to, bigger to me. I just have to create the opportunity. And that's what I did. And the next day I went on the practice field, watching practice, hoping the coach would kick me off the field. And the head coach was Rich Brooks. And he did. He, he saw me and he's like, kid, you're the track kid. What are you doing here? And I sold him on. I said, coach, I want to play. Give me a shot. And we kind of went back and forth, but he finally said, okay, you can walk on. And for those who don't know what walk on mean, that's where they allow a, a player who's not on scholarship to try out. You're not guaranteed to make it. You're not guaranteed you're even going to play. You're a long shot. But all I saw was opportunity. And from that first day when I walked on that field and I was last on the depth chart, I wasn't phased by that because I had a very strong belief system. I knew how I had the abilities. I knew I was willing to put in the work. And what they didn't know was what I was willing to do to prove them wrong. And so needless to say, made the team and ended up playing four years at Oregon while running track too. So I would say this, that 
again, it wasn't so much about getting to the NFL level. It was just that drive to prove them wrong, that they they misjudged me. And that was really what was driving me. And, and that's why it's so funny when I share the story like, yeah, but I ended up playing in the NFL for nine years and I wasn't trying to do that. <laughs> and it looks like sometimes the the it is a consequence. Consequences are positive or negative. They're just the after effect of your of your actions. So the consequence of that was like, I think that was some huge momentum into being able to stay for nine years. If you know how to prove something ineffective, like, oh, oh yeah, right? That, oh yeah, I'm going to do whatever I can. And not, mm, this is time for bragging, not in a bragging right, but right. in a true, like, let me, let's get the data. Let yeah. me show you. Let me put it in. And then they, they can't, you can't argue what the work is and what the results are. And right. so was the NFL also like, wow, after that football, um, you know, after your football seasons at, in Oregon, were scouts out there looking for you? Or was this another invitation opportunity? It was hmm, good question. They weren't really looking for me because I didn't have a great college career statistically. I didn't catch a lot of passes. I had one touchdown all four years, but I was this mystery track guy who was really fast, who could catch the ball. I mean, I, I was a wide receiver. I just didn't have the physical build, but scouts were looking at me and I was kind of a mystery kid, but I didn't really think that I was going to play in the NFL because one, I didn't believe I could play in the NFL. I didn't see myself playing in the NFL. And I had this image again that these guys are so big. They're just these amazing athletes. I'm, I don't belong there. But again, it's like when you continue to work hard, you continue to learn and grow and improve. All of a sudden, these opportunities start presenting themselves. And I ended up being drafted late. I was an eighth round pick. I was a 216th pick in the draft by the Cleveland Browns. And for those who don't know, I mean, today they only have seven rounds. So I was a long shot. I was, once again, just someone they were curious about. But I thought about this because I really wanted to make the Olympic team. I was a world-class long jumper. I was getting ready for nationals. I qualified for the 1988 Olympic trials in the long jump. So that was really the focus. And it wasn't football, but I thought, since the Cleveland Browns drafted me, which is a privilege, why don't I go to their rookie camp the next week just so that I can say I went? Because I didn't want to, you know, 10, 20 years down the road have regrets. That, Man, what if I went to the camp? So I thought, let's go. Let's see what it's like. Come back to Oregon, graduate, go to Nashville, see if I can make the Olympic team. So I go to the Cleveland Browns rookie camp the next week. In the third practice, I tear up my ACL ligament. And for me, this was my first serious setback, but this really changed everything. This was really that turning point in my athletic career. That didn't stop you or you weren't freaked out. You were like, oh no, this is a career ending injury. Like I'm done. Well, I had my pity party. <laughs> no, <laughs> I had my pity party because I remember sitting in the treatment center and they had my ice up, my knee all you know, iced up. And all I thought about was track. I can't finish track. I can't finish track. And I remember crying. It was the first time I'd ever cried anything associated with athletics. And then the doctor, I say, Hey doc, you know, can I get my speed back? Because 
speed was just something I was born with. I had the ability to run fast and I worked really hard to improve my speed. And the doctor said the right thing at the right time to me. He says, you know what, JJ? He says, not only could you get your speed back, if you work really hard, you could come back even faster. And I was like, oh, so that was the goal. And that became the focus was working as hard as I can so that I could come back faster. So I was had the pity party for a second. But one thing I learned is sometimes when you have those pity parties, you can't stay at that party too long or you won't leave the party. You know, you got to snap out of it and figure out your next plan and go to work. I love it. I love the that you allowed yourself the pity in that party, but you realize that pity is only spelled P-I-T-Y. I can't stay for more than four hours. We're done. Right? <laughs> can't stay for a lot longer. We didn't say four days, four weeks, four months, four years, right? right. And that's something that um, I think we all have to learn. We do have to have that time because that's the humanity to be like, ugh. But if we, ugh, for years, then we become victim. And then the story gets like, that stinky sticky like mm, no no but yeah. when we get into that and we have our moment it's the best right because that's our tear down moment where we're like huh and you you're absolutely right that doctor saying well yeah i don't know if it was a good brag on him like <laughs> i was so good <laughs> you can now get even you know even faster and better whether that is true or not true the belief allowed the opportunity for it to become true yeah. And that's important because sometimes you do need someone pouring belief into you at the right time so that you can get your belief where it needs to be so you can continue on. And that's what that doctor did. Dr. Brown, I still remember him. He poured that belief in me and that was all I needed to start this new, this new journey of playing in the NFL. Yeah really, really fantastic. A new mindset coming into things and then working hard. So after the injury and you're working things back, um, did you go to that Olympic trial? Did like share that part of the story? What happened? Yeah. When I got hurt, that, that dream was over and there was just no way I can't run or can't do anything. I did go back to school and graduate, but track was over and it's, the irony was track was my passion. That was what I wanted to do. It wasn't about making money in the NFL. It was about track. But once that doorway closed and another opportunity opened, I realized this, and this is something I teach that, you know, in life we have what I call FASCO moments, failures, adversity, setbacks, challenges, and obstacles. And those are moments when we have an opportunity for breakthroughs, you know, breakthrough. Breakthrough is when you have that impactful jump, that incredible thing happens or something amazing happens because you make a decision. And it starts with being at a crossroad. And when we have these adversities or these challenges, we have a choice. And that moment can take you either down and out or it can take you to bigger and better things. And so I decided that moment was going to be that breakthrough moment. It was going to take me to bigger and better things. But in order for that to happen, we have to be coachable. We have to be teachable. We have to hold ourselves accountable and say, okay, what can I learn from this experience? Why did it happen? And how can I turn this into to an opportunity? And that's what I did because I believe that knee injury, although it was painful, it was probably one of the best things that happened to me because Prior to that, I did not think I could play in the NFL. But having the privilege of sitting on the Cleveland Browns injury reserve list 
for a year, rehabbing, watching and learning and just really taking it all in. That's when the mind shift shifted. And I said, one day, halfway through the season, I said, you know what? I can play in the NFL. I just got to get healthy and take this and take that opportunity once I'm ready. That's it's, it's just incredible to see when we have the opportunities there and you're focused to realize, huh, look at these opportunities. I'm sitting here still on the team. I'm still reserved. So name's still there. All right. That's established. Okay. It's, it's almost like looking at when a disaster happens, when you're, you know, you, you look at everything, you're like, okay, what's left? What do we have? What do we have? we got to, you know, <laughs> there isn't an option of just sitting and watching the snowstorm bury us. What do we have? What are our options here? And right. you just start to play things out. Now, it's not a complete um, A to Z, but if you don't get started, the other opportunities can't pop up along the way. Uh, it, like any journey, as you get going, you know, right now you might be running low on water, but if you don't keep going, you might never find the stream that has the water, right? right. If you just sit there and like, well, <laughs> oh, I guess one thing that's really in common between JJ and myself is there's no sitting. There is action. <laughs> my family calls it the tribe drive. And it's very true. That is my maiden name. And there is just this, I don't know, cranked up on button, the energizer, but something like that. And it just, there's a drive to find more, to do more, not because you necessarily this want of more uh, in a, in a selfish want, it's it's a want to see how you can just keep improving. And along the improvement, family is improved, friendships can be improved. And it, it takes, I won't say the word balance, because that's 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 a stinky, sticky word. But there is there there are ways of seasons and time, right? So for example. This happened after so many years of track and the passion was all there. Instead of just allowing the passion to just and dry up, you definitely put something to it. And I don't know if like NFL became the passion, but it almost became this idea of what if, mm -hmm. right? What if? And, and, and why not? And well, you mentioned earlier about the whys, the whys in our life. So what after track was the why for so long? What became the why for you in this journey that then led you to the NFL? Well, it was my original why that was driving me in the first place that caused me to go to the University of Oregon on a scholarship. I was raised in Northeast Portland. Um, I like to say the hood part of Portland. And, you know, we struggled growing up. I have a, I have a wonderful mom, hardworking mom. You know, she dropped out of high school when she was a junior. She had some really tough jobs. She did what she could to take care of my older brother and my sister. And I looked at some around me, whether it's some family members and friends, I just watched how they all struggled and they like stayed in this cycle. And I just made up my mind when I was a young one. I just said, I'm going to break the cycle. I don't want to struggle. I want to leave the hood. I want to see the world. I want to create future opportunities for my family, whoever that ends up being. So that was the why. And that's the seed of motivation that was driving me to work hard in high school. And when I learned that, hey, if you get an athletic scholarship, your college is paid for for free. I was like, okay, I'm going for that. And then when 
the setback took place with the with the ACL injury, I realized that you know NFL players make decent money. So I'm thinking like, hey, here's a way I can be able to maybe create a lifestyle or more opportunities for my family if I can make it in this profession, which you know the average career is now less than two years. So I'm thinking like, if I can make it there, maybe I can kind of kickstart our life. So that was driving me. And I think that's so important because like I mentioned earlier, when the why is strong enough, the process to get there is not a challenge. And my why was so strong. I didn't care that the average NFL player was 6'2", 245 pounds, and I was 157 pounds. I didn't care about that because again, that burning desire to be able to take care of my family was pushing me every single day. And in caring for your family, you're talking about your sweet wife. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about this whole story, how your family came about. You shared with your mom, an older brother and a sister. So what about your, your family now? Yeah, so my family, as I mentioned earlier, I've been married to my wife, Raina, 32 years. And, and when we got married, we had a simple goal when it came to having a family. We wanted three children. And we have LaJordan Jr., my oldest, Dante, our middle son, and our daughter, Camille. And then about in 2007, I received a call from my nephew, Justin, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And Justin calls me out of the blue, and he's like, hey, uncle, you got to come out here. Just craziness going on here. Can you come check on us? So 24 hours later after that, I'm on a plane flying to Tulsa, Oklahoma to check on my five nieces and nephews. And once I get there, I find out it's a little bit more crazier than he described. And 24 hours later, I'm in a courthouse standing before a judge. And the judge says, Mr. Burden, we're going to take your five nieces and nephews and place them in five separate foster homes. You are the next of kin. So what would you like to do? And April, you want to talk about just being totally caught off guard and just, you know, hit with a left hook. You're like, whoa, whoa, wait. I just came here to check on the children, you know. And But I was faced with that, you know, I guess you could say that where I had to make a decision that was going to drastically impact so many lives instantaneously. So I did what any smart husband would do. And I was like, Judge, let me call my wife first. And I go in the hallway. I call my wife, Raina. It takes a five-minute conversation. And I remember saying this to my wife. I said, babe, I won't bring them back if, if this is going to negatively affect our family. And my wife goes, JJ, could you sleep at night knowing we could have made a difference? So the decision was made. And we took all five of our nieces and nephews, and we immediately merged them into our family. And we went from a family of five to a family of 10 overnight. And, but the one lesson I like to share, because we made this decision and so many people around us question us. They challenge, why would you do that? Why would you add five more mouths to feed? Why didn't you just leave them there? And my wife and I, though, we saw it as an opportunity to impact five more lives. And I believe we've done that. And I believe they impacted our lives as well. And so I like to share that with people too, because no matter what we're doing in life, we all have an opportunity to impact people's lives. We really do. And that was just one of the ways we were able to do that. And the good news for us is the youngest one moved out finally two years ago. She was six when we got her, 
my wife and I are finally empty nesters. So, but we also have, we also have two grandchildren too. So now we're grandparents. Oh, grandma and grandpa. That's so <laughs> great. That whole idea of what can we do to provide an opportunity that they wouldn't have had. I think about, I mean, I always think about God and think about how he has that, that 30,000 foot view on everything and that he helps us to understand the reasons why things happen. And that, that phone call, the right hook for you, like, woo. And then your wife, cause she has so much wisdom. Many women do yeah. <laughs> no offense, yeah. but that wisdom, right? Could you really live with yourself knowing the things that the future they would have missed out on their opportunities? Well, that that's, that's a 30,000 foot moment, right? Where you have to say, okay, we're in. Yeah. And the hows follow. The hows open up. The why is your pull. And so all of the how, don't get stuck into the minutia of yeah. how. Things will work. And that's the faith. And that's the belief. And all of those things happen. And now you're saying they've, they impacted you. You impacted them. And their their lives changed with that phone call. And I wonder about your nephew thinking, you know, the hesitation to call or maybe no yeah. hesitation to call. I don't know, right? And yeah. that call and the chain reaction going forward from five to ten, that part didn't matter because the why, like you said, mm -hmm. pulled you through. Amazing. Yeah, Amazing. yeah and, and I want to add too, because I don't want anyone to think that it was easy. It wasn't easy. You all of a sudden you're, you're merging, you know, five children. They were six to 16, two boys, three girls. You already have your two boys. You have a daughter. It wasn't easy. It took us some time to really get it figured out. Um, and it was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of uh, good days and bad days, but in the end, it was definitely worth it because like you mentioned, we gave them an opportunity maybe created opportunities that they may not have had, but, um, but yeah, we reflect on it and you know, it was real worth it. We really got a chance to make an impact because, and I will add this because my sister was her children and she ended up dying. Like, I don't know, maybe five years ago, but I think in her heart, you know, she knew that if she could not take care of her children, I knew she wanted us. And I, I think it all worked out the right way. So. Yeah, it does. And what an opportunity for the judge to pull back and maybe not be in the rush, right? Not be in the, well, no one's here. We're just going for it. Mm -hmm. Like calls, these things happen. And that saving grace of getting things in. And I, I'm glad that you said what you said, because, you know, stepping, right? Sign for step. <laughs> step, step mom, step dad. You know, if you look at it like that, whatever everyone was called and coming in, you know, they're used to other ways. These are new ways. At first, you know, I'm sure a lot of trial and error and, and at yeah. first it's this acceptance and then probably some jealousy. And then mm -hmm. I don't have enough time and they got more time than me. And yep. what am I chopped liver? You know, the whole, yep. all of the above. <laughs> all of the, yeah. And, and I'm sure you too, there, there are, I think that's why we have doorways, right? How many heads have gone against the doorway? Like we're just trying here. <laughs> well, I'm just trying. <laughs> I know. It, I tell you, April, though, it really helped to having that strong bond as a couple. 
and together our commitment to no matter what we got to do to be on the same page and to do our best to raise all three, eight of them in a loving household. And I think that partnership with Rain and I, I think was really the key element that, that made it successful. Well, you've learned that team, the team between a husband and wife, it, there's nothing like it because you both sacrifice together for the good of the entire family. Mm. One's not giving more than the other and, and they're not measured. They're, it, it can't be a comparable because, you know, you're out there doing all of this and she's in here doing all that. And it, it's not a you and then a me. It's a we. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time. And I know you mentioned this in your we, you have to find your I because if you're not committed as an I mm-hmm. to the cause, your your we goes we yeah. <laughs> does not stay. Yeah, that's that's good. That's one of the things, like you said, I meant I learned as being a part of a team. Um, you're part of a team and you might have a common goal as you're working together. But one thing I learn and I teach is that I say, you know, there better be an I in team. That means you have to make sure you make a commitment, a personal commitment to the betterment of the team or the family, you have to do your part. And if everybody does their part, the team puts themselves in a position to be more successful. Yeah. And the success is measured in so many of the small everyday things. I'm sure there were times where there was just the head on the shoulder, a squeeze around the middle and a thank you that a few weeks earlier would have been like, you know, you have that moment, you look around and you're like, Oh my gosh. Wow. Look at this. Hurry, take a picture, but don't interrupt it. You know, (laughs) I need a witness. This is amazing. Yeah. Or I'm sure the text, right? Thanks. Right. It's the simple things that come through that are miles deep. Simple is not shallow. Mm -hmm. Simple is deep. So it's, it's really true. So I, I just love that. I'm so glad that you were able to share part of that, that story. And within that family, unit because I think families are just being hammered on right now. We need, we need to connect together. Remember that as this team, everything's going to try to pull sever and pull it all out. Mm -hmm. And with the right, why practice forgiveness, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are times like, I'm just going to walk in the door like this. Sorry. I'll just close my eyes and say sorry. We're just, <laughs> yep. I'll just own it, shake it down, and get going. Cause, cause you're, you know, the pathway for right, or I'm gonna be right. I'm gonna show I'm right. Usually doesn't pan out to to love, right? Get right. to this apostle, and the the loving portion of all of this, the inspiration that comes through it, is the opportunity to mm-hmm. learn how to love so much more fully yeah and it's it's simply done by the everyday work yeah it is you learn a lot i mean i you know i've learned so much the 32 years of marriage and i think one of the biggest lessons i've learned you know you come from being a professional athlete where everything revolves around you and then my career was over and i was still thinking everything revolved around me it's like no 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 and i learned a hard lesson early on that No, it's about putting the needs of your mate ahead of your own. You know, 
making her a priority. That's one of the things I've learned as a husband is that it's not about me. It's about her. And if I can have that mindset, you know, that's what really I think has added a lot to our marriage. And my wife does it too, but I think it's so important because, you know, to find someone you cherish, you love, you want to spend your, your life with, that's all I want to do is make her smile. Whatever I got to do to make her smile every day, that makes me smile. Yeah. Oh, look, that was a quarter smile. Oh, <laughs> it gets me off. It gets me silly. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, JJ. And you guys can see why he is that inspirational speaker, why he was able to pound out those nine years in the NFL, why JJ Burden really has a story for so many that is inspirational. And I, and I hope this gives you that support that you need as you start your new 2023. Our circumstances within the world, it seems like a few people make these decisions and we're all like, wow, okay, so this is the playing field. What am I going to do to take advantage of the playing field that I'm offered? Mm -hmm. And we have to figure it out. And if we can have that tight-knit home and family there, we can go out into the craziness, come back, kind of, you know, take that break, freshen up, wrap up again, head back out. And when you have that togetherness, it the strength is just awesome. So thank you so much, JJ. And thank you for all those who are popping in. And I just really appreciate everyone here this evening. So JJ, is there anything else you'd like to say before we close it up? No, well, just fine. I'd like to leave everybody with one thought because, you know, people always ask me how I've been able to achieve some of the things I achieve. How do I still stay motivated? And and fired up. And I'll tell you, this is one of my JJ isms. And I want everyone to understand this. It's like when opportunity knocks, you don't answer the door, you rip the door off the hinges and you make opportunity stay. And I want you to really meditate on those words because that's not just gingerly halfway going through the motions of pursuing what you want. No, that's attacking your goals with determination, with grit and doing whatever it takes. That is what I've always done. And I believe that's why these opportunities open up. And that's something everyone can, can do. You don't have to be a professional athlete to go out there and achieve those opportunities out there. That's so true. Thank you so much. Okay, y'all, handle on the door. Rip it open. Rip it off the hinges, he says. Let's do this thing. <laughs> 2023 is your year. Make it that beacon for all to see. We all have that light. Let's get together, reflect everybody else's light, see how far we can stretch it. This is your opportunity today. Thank you, JJ. We'll see y'all later. Bye-bye.